Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ope, a podcast episode 36. Uh, today, we have a very special guest joining uh, our usual cast of hosts here. Uh, we have Soup or Eli Sherman. Uh, we marched with him back during our marching band days. I believe you marched tuba. So, go uh, ahead yeah, and introduce by, yourself. by accident. <laughs> Soup. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my name's Soup or Eli. You can really pick which one you want. I still answer to both, depending on the crowd. Uh, I marched for four years, 2013-2017, um, basically learned tuba on the fly for four years, tried out for drumline, and this is literally what they said to me when I tried out for drumline. They said, uh, so I don't think we have enough spots for you, but you aren't fat and unathletic. Do you want to carry a tuba? <laughs> and I said, absolutely, and the rest <laughs> is history. Brandon folks taught me how to play tuba, and uh, so did uh, Baloo, if you guys know Papa Bear. And then, um, you know, Bobby Parr, too. Those are probably the three biggest teachers I had. Diesel, four, uh, starting out. And then, you know, I'm a huge football fan, obviously. It's why we're here today. So I'm just happy to be here. Glad you guys thought of me to uh, come on and looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, glad to have you. Well, uh, also, as your usual host today, uh, again, my name is Jason, and we also have Wyatt down below my face here, and uh, Griffin to my right or left, depending on how this gets exported. Say hi, you two. Wait, what's up, crowd? Yo, you know me. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for coming to episode 36 today. We're getting ever closer. I want to mention we'll probably have a 42.0 special and not soon after that, uh, maybe 69. Gotta get there. Yep, we're slowly getting there. But uh, today we'll be recapping uh, our most recent football game at Colorado, uh, the Buffaloes. Then preview our homecoming game this upcoming Saturday against the Bowling Green Hawks? Falcons. Falcons. Uh, I'm gonna get Orange that. birds. Orange birds. Uh and then we'll go on from there. We'll have any discussion points, questions, or takes after that to wrap up the podcast. So, gentlemen, we stomped uh, the Colorado Buffaloes three to zero in a pretty, in essentially, pretty much a shutout. Um, no, it is a shutout. Our first shutout since oh, crap was in the nineties. The Power Five program on the road. Seventies. Uh, Seventies. Yeah, first it goes way back since First shutout of a Power Five team on the road by Minnesota since Illinois in 1977. Damn. But some key stats. So let me pull up the box score here. Um, so on our offense and defense, uh, Tanner Morgan was 11 of 17 for 164 yards, um, with 9.6 average with a QBR rating of 80.6. Um, then at tailbacks, uh, Trey Potts led the way at 26 carries, 121 yards, 4.7 yards average with three tutties. Um, amazing day for Potts. Then uh, behind him, uh, some names I didn't expect to see to play uh, that Saturday. Marquise Irving or Bucko, because his original nickname Bucky sounded too close to Bucky the Badger. That's so, so they, funny. So I they, love that. So they renamed the Bucko. Uh, Irvin had 15 carries for 89 yards with 5.9 yards average. Um, and he did have a burst out to 28 yards in that one carry during the game. 
then behind him, uh, Kai Thomas, uh, as uh, we're all aware of, he was the four-star recruit we had, I think, a year or two ago. Um, had seven carries with 66 yards, 9.4 yards average, and ran in for a touchdown in the fourth quarter. The, the, uh, essentially garbage time, but, you know, damn, Kai Thomas. Kai Thomas, I laughed in the fourth quarter because it looked like he pulled a Daniel Jones when he just had, a, like, a phantom trip. Yeah, I mean, he he's... I think Kai Thomas has just uh, gone ahead and Wally pipped Bryce Williams and Cam Wiley. Yeah, because uh, looking at the rest of the stats here, um, our fourth best rusher was only Bryce Williams, who had one carry for one yard. It's a um, fumble, too. Yep. And the fumble. Yeah. And the fumble. Um, then we had Blaze Andrews. Uh, somehow he had a. Oh, yeah. He, oh, he recovered the fumble uh, yep. for the one yard. And then Tanner Morgan. Uh, had three carries of one yard, so essentially trying to not get uh, either, either losing yards by being sacked or uh, just running the ball with using his legs. Um, but that's it for our rushing. Uh, but then for our receivers, Crab Chris Ottman Bell returned healthy, finally uh, had four receptions for seventy nine yards, nineteen point eight yards average. Uh, Dalen Wright was second best with only one reception for thirty nine yards. Uh, Daniel Jackson was four receptions for 39 yards. Then Cole Keith, our tight end, at one uh, reception at four yards. And then Bucko Irving at one reception for three yards. So essentially, um, our receivers did what they needed to do pretty much for this game. Um, we just ran the ball like hell. And in terms of uh, we forced two fumbles against the Buffaloes, uh, Justice Harris and Bishop McDonald, uh, got the recoveries. Um, oh, my bad. Correction. Wait, did I, am I reading this right? We had we had two fumbles that game. Four. Yeah. yeah. One of them was uh, Jordan off the sack, or the TFL from Lewis. Yep. And the other one was the uh, muff punt that yeah counts as a fumble. Got it. And okay. the one bit Donald covered. Yep. Got it. Thanks. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, Jack Gibbons led the team in uh, tackles, five solo tackles and one tackle for loss. Uh, then second is Mariano Sorry Marin, four, uh, four total tackles. Thomas Rush, three, including um, two sacks on the day. Then Tyler Newbin, three for th uh, three tackles total. Boyamafe, two, but he also had two sacks against Brandon Lewis as well. So we had four sacks that day. Um, which is great to see uh, after our seeing our past defense not getting any sacks or pressure during the last two games. Um, no, yeah, no and they weren't like oh, go ahead. they weren't yeah they weren't like coverage sacks either, right? Like yeah. uh, they weren't really like from prolonged play through coverage sacks. I mean, you saw a lot of like I really noticed they were twisting a lot and stunting on the line with like guys like Thomas Rush and stuff, and I thought that was. Uh, some creativity with the defensive line that we didn't see the first couple games, and it looks like uh, that really kind of helped them find their footing because, I mean, this defensive line is uh, stacked with experience and athletes right now, and there's no reason you shouldn't be leveraging that kind of uh, athleticism and experience against some of these younger, you know, lesser opponents, you could say. Like, games that you're supposed to win, you know, you should still be trying to pull out these kind of tricks against those opponents, in my opinion. And I don't even think that there were necessarily tricks on defense. I don't um, like watching Thomas Rush's sacks. 
you look at like he's lined up as an as a end rusher and then he ends up just cutting inside and going straight up the middle where they had absolutely no one home so i think part of that is just the great scheming of joe rossi yeah just the the knowledge and skill that thomas rush has had on this team for the last few years Mm -hmm. and where to make a play yeah he did a really good job of taking a step or two to make it look like he was going to be rushing up field before changing direction yep and key thing too i I listened to the radio broadcast from mike grimm and k uh, and the k fan uh, network uh they mentioned they talked to joe rossi that he actually wanted to simplify what the defense had to do which is i think the right call because uh our team even though we have a lot of great veteran players and athletes on the roster especially on the defensive side of the ball, they're not like your Carter Kaufman, Kamal Martin, or Anton Winfrey Jr. who like a high football IQ as well. So I think when they said Joe Rossi wanted to simplify the defense and make it more simpler, especially for the younger guys playing in the rotations, um, I think that was what I saw. Like they played more simple. They knew what they were doing. They they used their skill sets or their strength, as you mentioned, their uh, soup and you know, we essentially saw, I say, one of the greatest defensive performances from this team, and we're only three games into the season. So I think, you know, we have a trajectory where we can keep going up and better and better with this current defense. Yeah, this game is what they need. the defense needed to get their confidence back because Colorado was never going to necessarily be a flashy offense, and they showed that they weren't. It was pretty bland um, play calling by all means. But, I mean, they... I mean, now you look at them, and you should go into Bowling Green uh, being ready for uh, the pass attack that they're about to bring. Yeah, and I mean, if you look back at the Colorado game, I don't even think it was, like, vanilla play calling or anything. It's just, like, what else are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like, they were getting dominated in the trenches on, on both sides of the football, really. And just, I mean, how do you call – what do you call in in that situation when you're just getting whipped – you know, in the trenches on, on offense, it's, you try and call, you know, ease of execution plays and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you're just, if you're getting outplayed up, you know, you're getting, if you lose that battle at the line of scrimmage, you're basically giving up like three yards of play. If you, you know, two or three yards of play just in push. Right. So I, I feel like it was more like the defense just took it to them against Colorado and it was less of a, like, yeah, Colorado's offense was really bad, but, I don't think it helped that the Gophers were just all over them all game. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't like their rushing attack was our rushing attack was good, but I wasn't even necessarily say it was great because, um, God, we were still like two for 11 or like three for 12 on third downs. Like we were just running it because we knew we had possession and we just eat the clock. Like, at that point, there's no point in getting a first down when you're like at the. I mean, there still is a point, but when yeah. you're on the was it when you're on the opposing team's forty and you've just been eating six minutes a clock, like, it, yeah, yep. And I also think with like PJ Flex record, like what he's shown at Minnesota, uh, like you want to obviously you want to convert on third down, but I feel like those stats with PJ need to be rolled up into like third and fourth down conversions. Because they have such a propensity to go for it on fourth and short, I mean, basically less than fourth and five. They're if they're in anywhere remotely close to plus territory, they're probably going for it. And yep. I I love that. I think that's great. Um, it just does sometimes make like those 
uh, third third down conversion stats are a little deceiving at yeah, times. So very skewed towards not converting. But if you think about it, a lot of those drives, like are you, I think of Ohio, I say, oh, well, we're fourth and two on our own, in our own zone, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mo just, just ran it down the field perfectly. Yeah. Like open field, got into their zone, passed the 50-yard line, and just, like, brought the stadium back to life because we were they mm -hmm. were up like double digits we were down by one i believe or one digit and just to be just that momentum breaker that's that's yeah. pj's formula and then of course if we go back to 19 where we beat auburn we made <coughs> sorry uh we had two gutsy fourth down calls too like uh one in the end zone when seth green finally threw mm -hmm. in for a touchdown the end zone there and we couldn't yeah. run it with mo and then Bryce with him with the one-handed catch to essentially seal the game against Auburn and winning that game yeah. with a single score. Um, you know, I think that's the credit to PJ style offense that, or what his teams want to do is, you know, if we need to take, use all four downs to convert, we'll use all four downs. So, so far, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. It does skew that number <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's a, I think, PJ and the offensive staff expect four to five yards of carry from this running backs room that they have. That's just so incredibly deep. And then you've got one of the more um, experienced offensive lines in the country. And I think they just believe in, in the execution there and know that they're going to go ahead and get those yards. And if they don't, the way their defense was playing yesterday, I don't think it really mattered. Yep. But, uh, and I need to cover this next stats though before we move on, guys. Uh, I know it's going to hurt Wyatt a lot more. <laughs> uh, special teams. Matthew Trickett was only one for three on field goals. 33% <laughs> completion percentage. <laughs> he left the room. Uh, but, and, and only four for, no, three for four on extra points. So, um, very rough day for special teams. Uh, then Mark Crawford uh, had four punts that day too. Average 43.3 yards, but his long was 57. Uh, so it was a good, yep. good day for Crawford. Yeah, I mean, he boomed one, and then he absolutely shanked one. But, hey, average. It's all about the average, right? Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. <laughs> I can live with a 43-yard average punting. It's, it's better than we've seen in some seasons, so... <laughs> Uh, don't want to repeat 2020 with the walk-on kicker or punter, right? Oh, God. <laughs> we don't talk about him. Okay. Uh, moving on. But I will note, though, guys, uh, I rewatched as many highlights as I can. And I even hopped on to the Colorado Buffaloes podcasts and videos, uh, like, their, like their, of their media. Um, and some of them noticed that um, – Brandon Lewis again. He's you know, he's a true freshman quarterback, but he did miss a lot of wide open receivers. Um, like we did so well on the defensive line, just getting pressure that you know Lewis couldn't throw the ball, which is great. Or he was you know being seeing ghosts, seeing yeah. ghosts, yeah, seeing ghosts. But there are moments uh, when I looked at the film again and looking like correlating what these guys are saying from Colorado, like they're beat writers. Um, there were some blown coverages. Like there was like our corners were like literally five, seven yards behind the receiver on like slants. 
uh, or other routes. I was like, I if this was call against this Colorado, it made it's okay because they didn't get to convert. Like again, I think total yards wise, with the negative yardage as well, only sixty three yards on total offense versus yeah. ours at four forty one. But still, um, I'm worried when we get the Big Ten play. For example, like in Maryland, they, we got to deal with uh, Tolia Tagovailoa. Uh, um, I don't know who's produced quarterback, but produced quarterback is also doing pretty well. Uh, um, it would be Jake Plummer, I believe. Jake Plummer is still back. Uh, I know we joke around about this guy, Spencer Petrus, but when he needs to throw, he'll convert those two. Had um, a rough year. Yeah, and then Graham Mertz. I know he's not having a great season as well, but Graham Mertz, like if he sees that opening or wide open receiver, like they're going to convert. So I'm just – that's my concern is that the secondary is a little concerning for me because also we didn't we didn't leave the game with any interceptions too. And there are moments where like, you know, perfect moments to pick them off, but that didn't happen this game. So that's just my concern uh, going into the – like, you know, Bowling Green who has a pass-heavy attack. Mm-hmm. And then we open the se- – uh, reopen the Big Ten season again with um, Purdue at Purdue in, La- in West Lafayette. Yeah, I mean, I think I would like to see those plays where those receivers come open, like you said, like five to seven yards downfield, because I think at a certain point in the game, they just kind of start playing off. Just no big plays, right? Like, don't let them back into the game with a 30, 40 yarder, right? And you also don't want to give up the PI that's a spot file, or that's um 15 yards or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then it's just... um. I think that was more of like a scheme thing towards the end of the game where they knew it was already in the bag and you just don't want to let them in at all by giving up one of those big plays, in my opinion. So uh, I I share those concerns about the secondary, especially from a playmaking standpoint, because it's felt like it's felt like, you know, aside from Coney Durr, I think Coney Durr has played really well uh, so far. Um, aside from Coney Durr and uh, Tyler Newbin, you, nobody's really making any plays in the secondary, right? Like, there was um, multiple times during that game where I was sitting there saying to, uh, you know, me, my buddy Xander came over to watch the game, shout out him, and we, I would just say to him, oh, man, nice, that's a nice tackle by Coney Durr in space. Oh, there's another one, right? Oh, nice, yep. nice, nice breakup by Coney. Like, I kept saying that throughout the game. He's had a really strong start to this season here, I think. And, you know, Newbin had the interception a week ago. And I think outside of that, like, we haven't really seen, you know, anyone really make plays in the secondary. You finally have people making plays off the defensive line. You've got your Thomas Rushes, your boy Mafes in the backfield now. You know, are you going to convert those pressures now into, into turnovers? And you need someone... You know, I, I think about the the long touchdown to Miami, Ohio. I had to keep it close towards the end of the game where um, Terrell Smith was on the receiver's hip and just doesn't make the play. You know, it's like, what what happened there? I, I, I feel a lot of those things sometimes. I, our guys are in good play, good coverage positions or okay coverage positions. It's just not a lot of plays being made. I think we need Coney Durr to step up as a leader of the defense now because, it, it, I mean, you had the Antoine Winfield who was like a natural leader, and he, he made everyone else around him better. We need Coney Durr to step up. He's the guy that can make plays now. 
I want I want him to kind of assume the role as a leader. Mm-hmm. Someone has to take charge of that defense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But I think that's what I had. Like, I know again we we stomped them three to zero. It was a overwhelming good victory. Like we rushed the ball very well, passed when needed to. Defense played great. You know, I'm I'm just nitpicking at this point. Like because like this team can't improve. Like I know PJ says that a lot. Like you know it was a great game, but we're gonna look back at the tape. And then try to go one to zero in the Bowling Green season. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I quoted him that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's just that um, like the West is so wide open this year that um, especially if you look at the Gopher schedule, if they execute and you win the games that on paper you're supposed to win, you're sitting pretty come the last couple games of the season to be in real contention for the West. And I think. A lot of us as traumatized Gopher fans over the years just are waiting for that trap game to come up, right? And you just want to see the team... uh, You want to see the team put together a consistent performance on both sides of the ball. And you could say that they did that against Colorado. Um, Offensively, they, they, they did well. Um, I didn't think they were as consistent as maybe the box score says they were on offense against Colorado. Um, and I would like to see them put a complete game together because I thought, like, I thought they played better on offense against Miami, if we're being honest. So I'd like to see them put a complete game together this weekend. All right. And I think that's perfect. Let's roll over onto the preview for Bowling Green then. Right, perfect. So then, uh, next up, uh, it's homecoming week, gentlemen. Uh, for us, a uh, home game versus the Bowling Green Falcons. I don't know why I said Hawks early, but whatever. Uh, right now, according to ESPN, uh, it's gonna be airing on ESPNU. Uh, so unfortunately, if you're a Gopher fan that does not have that, uh, I, I uh, well, can't do much about that. Um, eleven a.m kickoff the uh, espn fpi is giving the gophers a 97.8 percent chance to win this game uh with the spread currently at minus 31 favoring the gophers with the over under being at 51 and i i'll start off saying i don't like a big spread or a majority fpi um so i'm thinking the game is going to be closer than it should be (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Gophers are the kings of keeping games closer than they should be, right? I mean, you can, and that's, sometimes it's a good thing when you're playing teams like Ohio State, where we kept the game closer than it probably should have been for a while. But when you play lesser opponents, uh, it, it becomes an issue. Yeah, I think, I think Zoom makes a really good point there. And it, I think, I think a lot of it comes to, playing to the level of our opponent. Um, but also, I look back at the Miami of Ohio game, and a lot of people look at that and say, oh, the Gophers should have absolutely killed them. Why was that game as close as it was? And I I keep looking back at it and saying, well, PJ was doing what he needed to do to get the next man up ready. He was feeding Potts. And look at what Potts went and did on, at Colorado. Yeah, was, I would... Yeah, I would push back against that a little bit because, I mean, Potts has a pretty notable in- injury history, especially with his ankle issues. And I don't think 
that 30 carries a game is sustainable for him. And I really didn't like that against Miami. I was hoping to see him get, you know, if he if he's going to get 30 touches, 20 passes, you know, five to eight touches in the pass game is what I was kind of hoping for, something like that. Uh, I just think with his injury history, and um, luckily you're very deep at the position, but, I mean, you don't, Trey, Trey looks dynamic. I mean, he's your home run guy, and you just you just need to protect him. And I didn't like uh, using him so heavily against Ohio, Miami, Ohio. I mean, I mean, I definitely get not wanting to use him thirty touches a game every single game all season. I, and I I agree with you that it's not sustainable. But I do I do like the idea to say, hey, we're gonna some confidence in you and we're going to put the ball in your hands a lot of times this game to make sure you're ready to go now that Mo's out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I will say too, um, the Colorado can also help that same running back room too, because uh, Bucky Irving and uh, Bucko Irving and then Kai Thomas pretty much, I, th- I think nearly supplanted Bryce Williams and Cam Wiley for, running back two and running back three spots. Because I know you guys remember when PJ first came in 2017 um, as our head coach, he loved what uh, Glenn Mason, a former head coach for the Gophers, said, you always got to have a pair and a spare. And at that time, we had Shannon and Rodney with Kobe McCrary as a spare. And then in subsequent years, you had uh, Rodney with Mo, uh, with Bryce Williams in this 18 season when we got the axe back. And then 19, it was... Actually, not a pair and a spare. We had like a, a trio of Shannon, Rodney, and Mo, always available during those games and uh-huh. staying fresh. And then, of course, twenty twenty happened, and then Mo was that bell cow of a running back in the limited actions we had that season. But seeing Kai Thomas and Bucko run the way they did against Colorado, I know again their defense at that point was gas. as fourth quarter. Uh, at the end of the game there, but I think if I had to say a pair and a spare moving forward, at least again, a small sample size from the one game, Bucko and Trey as your pair, and then the spare is Kai, but or but then you can change uh, interchange them between the those spots. So I think we have a new three-headed monster potentially, assuming they can polish themselves throughout mm-hmm. the season and get and just get better from there. Yeah, and even before you guys got to the U, it was David Cobb, Rodney Smith, and Shannon Brooks before that, too. David Cobb. Yeah, David Cobb. And let's not, for, let's not forget who's leading this entire crew of backs. We got running back coach Kenny Burns. Let's put some respect. Some other yeah. respect on his back. name. Like uh, I am so shocked this man has not been poached from the coaching staff. <laughs> Either that or that PJ hasn't even given him like some sort of like assistant or like associate or whatever, like promotion within. Associate head coach type thing. I think he is. I think he is. Oh, is he? He's yeah. a, he's the run game He definitely got a pay too. bump. Yeah. But I think these guys like playing for him too. But you, you think this season, it's like, okay, we had like Mo, Preston Jellin, Jason Williamson. Like these are all notable guys that did really, really well before they got here. And it's like – Okay, Jason Williamson's out. Preston Jellin has injury, and like you're still bringing up like Kai Thomas. Yeah, you're like, like five, six deep at running back. It's nuts. And then you, then you see all these commentators like, oh, like this guy looks good, and it's like, well, you, who do you think's developing all these people behind these guys? 
It's like you, you your day might show up earlier than you think if you play for the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. So you better be ready, and Kenny makes them ready. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm absolutely shocked he has not been poached from this coaching staff. Because, yeah. I mean, the consistency, I mean, it's not even like the high level. The high level play is obviously impressive. But to sustain that in the way they have in that running backs room is ridiculous. And to keep them around, too. Yeah, so yeah, I think the only a lot, mainly the losses that we had during the PJ Fleck era at Minnesota was our losses at the the defensive back coaches that we had. I know we had a guy from Oregon and a guy from uh, another mm-hmm. program. Yep. Uh, so you know, primarily that position has been a turnover every year for PJ staff. Uh, and then recently on the offensive side, I think we've only lost. Kirk Schrock, our former quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator, who was integral to that 2019 season's offense. Yeah, you're thinking season. of um, Maurice Linquist. Yeah, Maurice yes. Linquist. Yes. Um, but no, yeah. Kirk, Kirk Schrocka was, I think, um, one of uh, another key piece as well that left. And Mike Sanford Jr. took over. Um, I think Kirk is jobless now, is he? Or he got fired from Penn State after the COVID season. Um, looks like his yeah. offense didn't gel with Sean Clifford and James Franklin's. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if ML. anyone's offense. I don't know if anyone's offense is really going to help uh, Sean Clifford. For, for some reason, I'm. I think Kirk is in um, West Virginia. Okay, but I could be. Yeah, wrong. He is currently with West Virginia. He's yeah, an analyst, I'm... offensive analyst at West Virginia right now. And Mo Linquist, um, that was the other person, like you know, big name from the coaching staff because. You know that was the guy who was developing those young DBs that they were they were putting into the league for a little bit, and uh, that was um, you know he got a he had a job with the Cowboys for a couple of years, and now he's the head coach at Buffalo. Yep, kudos to him. You know, PJ said it best. He likes he wants to give his coaches the opportunities and the chances to move up the ranks. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, kudos uh, to those coaches. I will mention too, we had the one year stint for Ed Warner for the offensive line um, mm. as well. And even though we didn't see tangible results that year with Ed Warner at that position, uh, Brian Callahan, our current offensive line coach, who was with PJ at Western Michigan at the O-line before moving mm-hmm. to tight ends, uh, was learned a lot from Ed Warner because Ed Warner essentially is a O-line guru at, during his time at Ohio State and prior. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's the same guys that they developed in the current roster, Connor Olson, who's currently a su- I think a super senior because he has another year of eligibility. Yeah, he is. Uh, Blaze Andrews, who played a lot during um, Ed Warner's time here, and of course our additions with um, uh, Daniel Falele, Curtis Dunlap from IMG Academy, uh, then John Michael Schmidt, uh, a name that I didn't think would bounce, like pop out on that O line. Uh, I know I used to bitch about this yeah. guy, uh, Sam Schmitter. John Michael Schmitz came from I Western Michigan Schmitter. with PJ. Yeah, and I, I, uh, before I got cut off there, Eli, it was uh, Sorry. John Michael Schmidt. Not John Sam Schluter. I used to Schluter. bitch about this guy <laughs> in the past <laughs> about like his poor play, and, uh, and mm-hmm. then he resurrected his like status in '19 and after. So, yeah. like you know, with essentially six offensive alignment, and even some of the guys that played during 2020, because I know. PJ, like the Wisconsin game, we barely had enough linemen to play 
that Wisconsin game. Like we were a short on linemen and special teamers, and somehow redshirt or true freshman, I forgot what's their what their names were, started for us, and he actually played pretty well and kept Tanner mostly clean in the pocket, uh, at least what they can manage to do. Yeah. So I think despite the turnovers on uh, at staff that we talked about, like the key names that we just talked about, overall, this staff is saying Matt Simon, that's now a co-offensive coordinator, uh, wide receivers coach Brian Callahan, Kenny Burns, of course, PJ himself, down on defense, um, Joe Rossi, uh, who was linebackers before going to the uh, uh, defensive coordinator, uh, who else was uh, else on that side of the ball? Uh, Rob Wenger. I know uh, Laurent. Yeah, I know. I know Laurent hates Rob with a passion because how there's some blown special teams coverages and kicking problems. But Rob Wenger's been with PJ for years as well at special teams. Yeah, I um, I just think with with Wenger, it's PJ like raves about him, like goes out of his way to like rave about him in like all these press conferences, and they're just not consistent on special teams. And I think that's where the frustration comes in. Is like you hear PJ talk about how much he loves Rob Winger, and they're just totally inconsistent on his on, in his phase. Yep. But other than that, um, Joe Harris Simiak too. Yeah, Harris Simiak, who actually uh, was a head coach at Division Three or Division Two, coming to uh, that's a coach defensive backs. You know, I was surprised. Yeah. I thought this guy would get a head coaching stint at like a Group of Five program, and this comes in to be an assistant for PJ. And it was funny too. The reason he came here was because he has connection with Joe Rossi. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course, Chad Wilt, um, the defensive mm-hmm. line coach that we took from Cincinnati, where like, I remember in 2019 or 2020, Cincinnati had a monster defensive line and they still do today. Like they, they took Indiana to the wire, right? White, <laughs> White riot. <laughs> hey. I mean, um. Indiana pushed them hard, but you know, since he's a really great football program out there right now, and um, it's it's hard to deny that there's a lot of talent there. Um, if there's a group of five, five program to watch out for this year, that's the one. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, great staff. We, again, great staff, and I'm, I'm actually I was happy when he signed that extension, the contract with PJ, especially with the bigger like buyout in case he gets poached by other programs, which is raising the salaries of his assistants. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you look at was it Clemson, uh, the, I, I use them as an example, but Clemson, their current offensive defensive coordinators are still with Dabo. Like I'm surprised they never left because they they're paid very well at Clemson to keep them there. Uh, so I know I'm man. I'm why why would you leave? Yeah. Where would you you're, go? You're a very very successful program. That's that's where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just happy with the current staff that we have right now. Like we have a great staff, uh, majority-wise that we all like, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know they're doing great things with our current roster um, that yeah. we, that we have so far. And before we move on from the staff, I looked it up. We were talking here, and uh, the head recruiter on every single one of the running backs that's on the roster right now, uh, Cam Wiley or not Cam Wiley, um, what is it, Potts? Everybody. Pots down to Bucky Irving and uh, Kai Thomas, all recruited head recruiter Kenny Burns. So not only is he a really good coach, but he's consistently, you know, finding talent, right? Because, I mean, 
Ibrahim's a, what, three-star running back coming out of school? Yep, out of Ohio, the same state as Ohio State. And then Kai Thomas was a four-star out of Kentucky. Yeah. Kansas, I think, actually. Kansas, my bad. He was Kansas Player of the Year or something. Starts with a K, close enough. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's really identifying talent and continuing to just pump talent out of that running backs room. And it's just so crazy. Yep. And I will mention, too, uh, when Griffin and I went to Rutgers in 2019 uh, for that game, uh, Griffin and I talked a lot how a good number of PJ's current staff, not just coaches, but, like, player personnel, administrative staff, um, like those guys, like like some of his, like his director of player personnel and some of those guys, they were connected through Rutgers during – Greg Schiano's first stint at Rutgers. Because remember, mm. PJ was a, an assistant coach with Schiano at Rutgers as wide receiver coach and recruiting coordinator. And Griffin, I noted, like, I think one, I was a director, uh, one of the directors, uh, Griffin, yeah. was a. Was Maurice inter- Wilson? Yeah, interim head coach. was like, uh, oh, like, what's your name? And what's your yeah. question? <laughs> uh, and Maurice like, N- Wilson is the same man when he was head coach at Rutgers that. And he's the exact same person today. If you were to walk up to him, it is, <laughs> he is a great man. Yeah. So like, I, I know we mentioned like Kenny Burns being a great coach and the, and the current coaching staff, but not just the coaching staff, but like the administrative staff. And I think PJ's um, uh, who's the guy, who's the short guy. That's always telling PJ like uh, his, uh, it was his assistant. No, not assistant. Um, his GM, his GM has been with PJ yeah, for many years as well. So not just like the coaching staff, but his entire other staff is G- GM, uh, director of player personnel, and many other people in those roles for player development. Um, and his strength and the strength staff too, and medical staff have primarily came from his time at Western Michigan or way before when he first started his stint with Greg Schiano at Rutgers too. And I know Schiano did take some of the some of our staff members from PJ back to Rutgers when he got rehired, but like. That connection, though, um, uh, hasn't uh, hasn't failed PJ yet, and so far we've had a great program so far. Especially what what happened after that 2016 season, with you know the scandals, uh, the change in athletic directors, and just, you know just the turmoil on Gopher athletics at that time. So I'm just happy that you know this staff is, in general, coaches, administrative staff, everyone is on the same boat uh, with PJ. All right. Anything else about the staff for the Gophers? <laughs> I just want I just want everyone to stay. We all do. We all do. Uh, but looking ahead, so Bowling Green. Um, I want to read a, key, a few key stats. So the Bowling Green Falcons um, have lost or lost four of the last five matchups, uh, including this season and the last couple games of last season. Uh, so their most recent game on the ni- on the eighteenth uh, was a win against. Um, the Murray State Racers uh, winning 27 to 10, and then their two other losses on 9-11 and 9-2 were losses to Southern Alabama, uh, 22 to uh, 19 to 22, and then Tennessee 6 to 38. Uh, prior, to, prior to that, um, from last season during the COVID uh, uh, first COVID year, um, lost to Akron 3 to 31, and lost to. Uh, University of Ohio, the Bobcats, 
ten to fifty two. Look, we've played Ohio before. If 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 they can, if Ohio can win fifty two to ten, we should be able to have a more than true. Yeah, Ohio put up a fifty piece. They put a fifty yep. piece nugs on them. <laughs> So looking ahead, uh, their quarterback uh, for Bowling Green, Matt McDonald, is 70 of 98 uh, for 716 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Versus our Tanner Morgan's 33 of 59 for 481 yards and three touchdowns. Um, their lead running back is Nick Mosley. Uh, had so far this season... Uh, 17 carries for 74 yards, no touchdowns. And, of course, yep. our very own Trey Potts being our lead rusher at 70, 70 carries, 333 yards, and five tutties. Um, and then their lead receiver uh, for Bowling Green is Austin Osborne. Uh, was uh, Only has uh, 21 receptions for 153 yards. And then, of course, our leading uh, passer, uh, our, our wide receiver is Dalen Wright. Uh, currently at nine receptions for 169 yards and two touchdowns uh, stats-wise. But um, in terms of, like, game stats, uh, Bowling Green's currently averaging 291 yards uh, for the season on offense, uh, 238.7 on passing, and 53 yards on rushing. Um, allow, and then their defense allowed 349 yards this season. Uh, even pretty pretty even, 177.7 on passing and 171 on rushing. Mm. Yep. Man, Trey Potts almost has as many touchdowns as the entire Bowling Green team this year. Yeah. Man, what you said spread is 30 plus. 31. What's 31. the What's the total? 51. 51. <laughs> that... 51 that sounds pretty good. Yeah. I was surprised I was surprised by the big over under but I was like, eh, okay." Uh if it's okay then let's go to the keys of the game. Um I know PJ said it in his press conferences uh lately, you know, uh I know a lot of fans and other beat writers are like uh are like, you know, thinking this is going to be a, you know, a beat down on Bowling Green, but of course PJ is keeping it, you know, not that way. Again, he's he wants to go one and zero in the Bowling Green season, praising them what they've been able to do, especially on the offense, and they have a pretty good passing attack. Again, two almost two hundred forty yards average each game, um, so it's going to be a big test on our D line, like you said, soup earlier uh, when we talked about uh, the post Colorado stuff, uh, but also test our secondary too because this is going to be where we got to stop the pass and then try to make them beat us on the run. Yeah, I definitely think it's bigger on the secondary than it is our D-line. Um, I mean, our defensive line, I don't think, has to do much since they only uh, their total rushing yards is very, very little. Oh, and I mean, if they want to, if they want to, the D-line wants to pressure the quarterback by all means, but it better not compromise the coverage in the secondary. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Bowling Green's going to try and uh, get this defense of ours moving uh, east-west a lot across the field because um, I, I definitely think there is room to exploit the um, 
the Gophers defense in that area because for me, uh, I think our biggest key to the game on defense at least is uh, going to be tackling. And I know it sounds like elementary to say, oh, well, you got to tackle, but it's specifically the secondary. I think there's going to be a lot of those short, quick, behind-the-line-of-scrimmage passes, um, and the secondary is really going to need to step up and shed their blocks and make, make some clean tackles or at least stand up until your backers can come in and help you clean up. Um, because if you start missing tackles and letting them pop off big play, big play, you know, 10, 15-yard screens or whatever, tunnels and, and whatnot, um, then you're going to get into an issue, and they're going to get you back on, on their heels. But the secondary, I think, really needs to really needs to be sound this weekend. Anything from you, Wyatt? Any keys to the game for you? I mean, I mean, I think that Stu makes a really good point here. Um, he says, like, obviously, his elementary tackling is one of the most is the most fundamental block of defense. But like, yeah, we're, we're at the point where we need to know what our secondary is really capable of. Um, and Bowling Green's going to be a team that's going to put that to the test. They're not a run-focused team. They're a pass-focused team. Um, so it's a lot of this week comes to seeing how our secondary holds up against a team that's going to try to get them shaken, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be locking down the secondary, and I think seeing what we can do building from last week is also extremely important on the defensive side of the ball. If our defensive line can help out our secondary by putting pressure on the quarterback, maybe we get to finally see some some more players capitalize on those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, if you guys are okay with it, um, oh, I'll go mention one more thing. Uh, so far, our kicker, Matthew Trick, has been perfect at home. <laughs> so I hope he oh god gets out of his yips <laughs> uh special teams wise but that's all i have <laughs> i'm i'm personally i'm not worried about trickett personally i think you see a lot of uh i think you see a lot of faith especially from uh pj and the coaching staff and we all know pj's a very conservative coach when it comes to game strategy and he trotted him back out there after, you know, both of those misses. So they believe in him. And uh, I, I'm really not that worried about him. I think kicking in Colorado is weird. Um, the altitude, I think, affects the ball more than the layman like that we are can under, really understand from like a nuanced kicking perspective. Um, and the, I mean, and then he when he came in, he drilled the other kick, too. Like that last one they put him in for, he you know piped it right down the middle. So yep. he he clearly adjusted. I I think his confidence is good, and I think that's like eighty percent of kicking. So uh, I'm really personally not too worried about him. I'm more wor- worried about uh, punting and our ability to flip the field. But um, uh, hopefully we don't even have to punt this weekend. <laughs> that would be the ideal scenario. Yeah, hopefully. But other than that, uh, let's get some predictions in. So, uh, Eli, since you're the guest of the podcast, what is your predictions for this game? I'm going to go Gophers 38. Ooh. 
Uh, Bowling Green, 13. All right, all right. Uh, close to mine. That's pretty right. close. What's yours, Griffin? I was going to do 37 for the Gophers, because that's how many we should have had last week with Trickett's misses. Uh, and then was going to go 10 for Bowling Green. All right. Wyatt? Uh, I'm gonna say thirty-one to seventeen. I'm I'm a little less optimistic, but you know, I just think that we tend to play fairly close games, no matter who the opponent is. So I'm I'm gonna try not to set my set the bar too high here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, personally, for me, I am foreseeing like a early, like you give up an early touchdown, and then you hold them, and then they get like two more field goals like for the rest of the game sprinkled in there somewhere. And then on offense, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think Bowling Green's going to be seeing the ball that much. I think you're going to be seeing like 40 plus minutes of possession time for the Gophers. Yeah. I I was just going to say, I kind of, I kind of foresee the Gophers in a way going up like two, three touchdowns, kind of like Miami of Ohio. And then kind of slowly, like, they kind of they put in some you know second third stringers and they kind of slowly you know get a touchdown from it but then the gophers just run the clock out by just feeding the ball to our six running backs that can clearly play a little bit yeah I was say, it's, yeah. it's time to see what, what what kai can do you know it's we want to see if these guys are the, are the two and three that we want to go with moving forward put the ball in their hands 10, 15 times this game. Yeah. And I don't I, think any of these smaller teams like Bowling Green are really ever going to be ready for the amount of running that the Big Ten will feed, will like, like throw in their face. Like, I'm yeah. sure Bowling line isn't full of, I mean, I don't know, but I'm sure it's not full of 300, 320 pound guys that just sit at nose tackle and try to stuff the run. I think they're a little bit more agile. And our offensive line will clearly just overpower them and dominate the line of scrimmage, giving the running backs, you know, two, three yards in front of the line to make their moves. Yeah. And I will yeah, say, uh, go ahead, Jason. Uh, my predictions actually, I know, uh, I don't li- like this, but I'm going to say 38 to seven, um, that they're, they're, they're going to score a touchdown late in the game when we have our second or third stringers in the game, but I'm saying 38 oh. to seven. And we'll, Jeez. Yeah, Griff, to, to your point, I just looked up Bowling Green's starting defensive line. It's 6'2", 235, 6'3", 275, 6'2", 302, and 6'4", 280. So they got one 300-pounder. It's their nose tackle. All right. Well, I, I mean, still, that kind of fits somewhat exactly what I was thinking. But I... I, yeah. I a lot of a lot of open holes on the line hopefully that yeah ideally for me you're sitting trey potts by like midway through the third quarter because i think you want him fresh for purdue and you give him a lot of touches even in those first even in the first half you want to spread those touches around uh i think they'll i think they'll ride him pretty hard the first half until they get up about three scores and then once that happens, I think they'll just sit him. Like once he gets to 20, 25 carries, let's say. And I think that's easily doable in the first 
two and a half quarters with the way this game I think is going to be called. Like whatever the like Vegas betting line is for rushing attempts this week, just bet the over. Like I, whatever it is, it's not high enough. They're going to run the ball like at least 45 times. It's going to be miserable for me to watch because the offensive coordinator drives me nuts sometimes, but that's a different conversation. But I think by midway through the third and the fourth quarter, you want to see Bucky Irving or Bucko Irving, Kai Thomas out there. And you want to figure out going into Purdue, who's going to be the solid number two guy. Cause that rotation is going to need to be really solidified going into Purdue because once you get in a Big Ten play, you got to start feeding your receivers more. You're not going to be able to get away. I think they're in a really lucky position here because they can get away with feeding their running backs this way against this team and the last team before this to figure out this depth at this position before the Big Ten season because Altman Bell, Dalen Wright, Daniel Jackson, you know those are your receivers. You know what you have there. Brevin Spanford is your pass catcher tight end. You know what you have in your, you know, four pass catching targets. So you're not really worried about that at all this game. I think this is a big game to figure out what you're going to do with your running back room come Big Ten play. Yep, totally agree. I tried, um, I was sitting at the game next to actually Clay Patterson, uh, tight end coach's wife. Um, and I, I, tr- I really tried, guys, to try to get more time. And I said, hey, can, can you convince Coach to get more Brevin time? Uh, <laughs> we need a couple more catches. And she's like, oh, my God, like, trust me. Like, we love him. Like, we want more. He's trying his hardest to get more. And I'm like, okay, good. That's at least all I need that, you know, our boy – our boy coach Clay Patterson is has his back and wants to get him more touches. So Aww. I know Brevin Stanford stands and uh we want to see him break out. And I, Please, I hope Brevin. Hope we get that. Hope we hope we can get him a tutty. I really think they just don't want to put him on tape before the Big Ten season. That that is totally a that is totally a PJ thing to do as well. I, I that's legit what I think it is. Because they've been using him to block so much, so much. And then you saw it against, I think it was Miami, and I don't think they wanted to run this play at all. It was like the little fake uh, check-and-go check, and, check and go wheel that they ran to the right side. Um, it was towards the the open end zone, and he had like that really nice gain, almost rumbled in for the touchdown. And it was just like a little play action. You fake the block, and you slip out into space. And I, it, I think the game was a little closer than they wanted it to be at that point, and they dialed that one up. I do not think they wanted to call that within the first three, four games. And see, that's that's what I was explaining to. I was like, we need him disguised as a seventh line, sixth, seventh lineman, and he needs to break off. And if we're say we're inside the five, he just runs a little crossing route over the middle. No one's gonna, no one's gonna cover him because they don't think they're gonna ever pass to him. Boom. Yeah, run him right up the seam off the line. Yep. I, I, I legit think that this, that's what they're doing. <laughs> I, I just think it'd be so funny. Because I think when he scored a touchdown against Illinois, it was, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, wasn't that kind of like the same thing? It was like kind of a wheel route. Mm-hmm. I think it was toward the open end zone to the, to the left. They mm-hmm. passed just right there in the back of the end zone. Yeah, I mean, 
he's very dynamic, and I think he will be used in the passing game. But right now, when you watch the tape on the Gophers, you're worried about 7, 16, 9, and 3, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're just holding that, holding on to that one, right? Yeah. And I, I know, I know, we, I know, our podcast team in particular love the praise, you know, that for Evan Spann for it is that you know, tight end like T.J. Hawkinson and um, uh, and Noah Fant uh, that from Iowa that moved on to the NFL and they're doing you know tight end things over there in the NFL. But I do want to mention too, Cole Keeft, um, who is a senior at the tight end position, also a great blocker. Uh, at that position as well but he has some caught he has caught some touchdowns and passes too so i'd say uh i know we like to hype up brevin but i think that tight end room in general with co and brevin being the you know most veteran members of that roster or uh, group on the offense you know maybe uh, you know we'll see more brevin when big 10 play comes but i i, I wouldn't sit on uh co keith if he can convert those fourth down passes or uh, or red zone catches and uh, for a touchdown, so don't count him out too. Did you did you all see that highlight of him pancaking the Colorado? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I'm just I'm just just making sure because I know that caught the eye of a lot of people, and his value all comes in blocking. I think. I mean, it's great that we big boy man. He doesn't he doesn't mess around. I used to see him in the gym at the rec, <laughs> like getting a lift in randomly and my lord was a terrifying <laughs> dude he wants to be a strength he wants to be a strength coach after he leaves uh i can't wait until he signs a udfa deal with the baltimore ravens next year <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait it has to ha- it would be so perfect like it would just be it's just perfect him and bateman yes yes well, Clear just think of him, Lamar. like, lead blocking for Lamar. That'd be so crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, hopefully. Hopefully. Who's running back in your Lamar Jackson and Co. Keeft? <laughs> no, talking about games, though, uh, Thursday Night Football, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Was that the Ravens against Chiefs? Oh, uh, that was Sunday night. That was Sunday Sun- night. Oh, yeah, Sunday, Sunday. night. That, that game was lit. <laughs> That was supposed to be our boy Bateman's debut. We were robbed. And he's is he on, I think he's on IR, right? Yeah, he'll be back in like yeah. a couple weeks, I think. Yeah, but yeah, no, that was a that was a fun game to watch. Even uh, Thursday night was uh, last week Giants, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a close game too. Taylor Heineke balled out, so did Daniel Jones. Um, and then it, of course yeah. Monday night was close. You know, Lions kept it close, and then but they let it let the game away because Jared Goff just threw picks and fumbles they're not and rogers massive bonus for winning that washington game yeah good for him yeah uh... hard like i want him (laughs) harder man yeah (laughs) well actually this is a perfect segue to other things uh now they wrapped up previewing bowling green uh, anything interesting or stuff that we've seen during the NFL stuff or other college football stuff or even takes uh, this weekend? Wrap up? Either this weekend or previous week uh, or the previous weekend. I will say though, um, some of the top teams in the of the nation, like you know Alabama, 
barely squeaked out their win. Uh, not barely, but like they they had to squeak out their win. Ohio State struggling, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Clemson and their quarterback is not having a great time. Um, you know, some of those programs are struggling. Not like they're not going to like not be great. You know, they're already great. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be they'll be great by the end of the season. Like you know, mm-hmm. good record. But I think like you know what we're seeing from Penn State right now, beating Auburn despite a f- what what the fuck was it? Punting on third down, even though the refs that was incredible. The thought was fourth that was, down. That was incredible. I was like, holy hell, what the hell that was going on with that? Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, Griffin, I mentioned off air, freaking Rutgers is three and zero. What I'm talking about, bro. I'm, I'm I'm here for it. Greg Schiano doing Greg Schiano things at Rutgers like he did in the past. I'm like, uh, I know we talked about off air, but like. They're gonna have a rough Big Ten schedule coming up. Three ranked teams for the next three games. Oh, it's not as rough as Nebraska's schedule, man. <laughs> you know what? Like we we all thought they were gonna get blown out this weekend, and that Frost was gonna get fired. But you know they hung in there. Yeah, it was only seven points. on against Oklahoma, which is really surprising, and you know it's it's a positive thing for them to take forward. I think Oklahoma is severely overrated this year. I do not think Spencer Rattler is that good. I That's don't. Also fair. No, I don't yeah. get it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I when I like I the first game, Yeah, the first game of the season, I was like, "Is this really the same Spencer Spencer Rattler we saw last year?" And then they continue, they continued from there, and then their defense isn't being Big Twelve defense as well. So I was like, "Yeah." Like right now, the current AP poll, I don't agree with. Maybe for some teams, like of course Iowa slaughter slaughtering everybody right now. <laughs> uh, and and I know we, I think there was a meme when week one ended. They're like, you lost to fucking Spencer Petrus. They've been doing that for two seasons. I know. And before they had Nate Stanley, and before that, uh, who was it? Right, it was before Nate Stanley. He, he was at the 49ers, I think. Uh, oh, CJ Beathard. CJ Beathard. Yeah, yeah. CJ Beathard. Right now, actually, he's the he's the he's the backup to uh, Trevor Lawrence. Huh. Oh. I mean, okay. Spencer Spencer Rattler's what? Seven, he's seventy four for ninety nine, seven hundred sixty one yards, seven touchdowns, two picks, seven point seven yards per attempt, eight point two air yards per attempt. Like, eh, it's fine. I'm talking about a seventy five percent completion percentage. Yeah, but yeah. I mean that in that offense you're gonna have those high completion percentage because it's it's all schemed up for you and there's just so many easy completions within yeah. that so offense. It's also the question of who they played. Yeah. Uh, they have played. Uh, what like, is this? Like Nebraska uh, this? isn't a great team right now, but they kept the, they they hung in there. They played Tulane, Western Carolina, and Nebraska. Yeah. So the best team they've played is Nebraska? Tulane, they beat by 15. And he's, he's only completing 75% of his passes? I mean, their schedule's soft. If you look at, like, Oklahoma's schedule yeah. the, the rest of the and way. Yeah. West yeah. Virginia, K-State, uh, perennial powerhouse Texas, uh, Texas Christian, yeah. Kansas, another perennial powerhouse, Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State is, like, their one probably hard game and then Oklahoma State. Well let's let's hope Iowa State beats them. Yeah. Matt Campbell, let's go. I just 
don't think he's that good. It's whatever. Yeah. But, uh, let's see. Other than that, I guess my hot take of the week would be uh, Co'Keefe fullback touchdown. Hell yes. I think it's coming. I think they line up in that big, that heavy package they like, and they motion Co like he's coming across the line, and he does that thing where they, like, kind of fall back into the, like, split eye, and they just hand it to him on the goal line. Oh, hell yeah. They got to still... give him one. They got to give him one to, uh, this weekend, I think. It's going to be their best chance to get him one. I still remember. What a wildcat to keep. Wildcat. What I, about? I, I'm just worried his hands are like bricks and that the minute the football <laughs> snapped to him, it's just bouncing right off. <laughs> yeah. Um, or I don't mind if you give it to Daniel Faalele because he played rugby prior to playing football. And I remember that he had the big man touchdown during the uh, COVID spring game. Yeah. So was running into the end zone with a heavy package. So that's, just, that's I, why I, I, he's so keeped instead because yeah. it's here. Yeah. I, I want a big man touchdown, please. One of the big men, please. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I, I think we'll see something wacky on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have a hot take. I don't know if this is a hot take. I think. The East this yeah. year is not going to be Ohio State taking the crown. I think it's either going to be a different program, either it's Penn State or Michigan State, the way how they're going so far. Um, Do you think it's Michigan? Jim Harbaugh has not win or has not won against Ohio State during his entire tenure so far. Also, his record against ranked opponents is yes. Yeah, so unless Jim Harbaugh can prove me wrong, well, wrong – I'm seeing a seven five or eight and four record with Michigan, uh, this regular season. But so you think that Michigan is uh, ranked too high at nineteen? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, that we overvalue Michigan in the same way that we might be overvaluing Oklahoma. Yeah, maybe. But I'm I, I'm saying it's not Michigan or Ohio State taking the top. It's gonna be Michigan State, uh, or Penn State. So go State. It does. Harbaugh get fired. I think he quits before he gets fired. And takes an NFL job again or takes a different program. And it's not going to be USC. Hell no. He's not taking. He's not going to get a different program. He's, if he's going to leave, he's going to take an NFL job. Yep. And uh, the uh, right now, well, who's on the hot seat? Uh, Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer. Uh, for the I don't Vikings. think he's not necessarily on the hot seat, but he's definitely getting looked at. Yeah, getting Mike posted. Zimmer? Mike Zimmer's been getting looked at every season for the last, what? Three years. <laughs> but they're not going to pull the plug on him yet. Yeah. And yeah, they do. I think the Wills will get rid of him, like, end of the season and then find someone else because he, do- he does have a big contract, too, as a coach, which is – you know, yeah, didn't he just mind. get extended? Like a year, yeah, last year he got extended because like that was a year when uh, they hired uh, McCartney uh, or McCarthy, the coach for Dallas. There was a rumor going that Dallas, if like if Zimmer got fired, they'll hire Zimmer to take over at the Cowboys, and the Vikings may have potentially promoted uh, prom- or promote 
current Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski, to the head coaching job, being the young uh, offensive mind thing. That have went really well. <laughs> yeah. And now <laughs> that have been really good. Yeah. The Browns went to the playoffs and, you know, beat the Steelers and barely lost or, or had a close game against Kansas City. And then, uh, of course, they're struggling right now. They're 0-2, I believe, or 1-1. One one. Cleveland? Yeah, they're 0-2, right? Uh, yeah, I think they won last week, didn't they? So they won last week. Oh, they won last week. Yeah, they're 1-1, one and, one and they're... Uh... ...to Kansas City in a game that they probably should not have lost. And it kind of... Yeah. yeah, it was a really weird ending to that game. They beat the Texans by 10 last week. Yeah, got it, thanks. But To be fair to the Texans, Tyrod Taylor's hurt. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my boy Brandon Cooks is going off though. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> For your fantasy? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Man, the uh, only thing I'm looking forward to on Sunday is the start of the Justin Fields era. Yeah, for real. It took forever. It took forever, yeah. Just it's I don't know. I think I think they wanted to do it before this, but You you promised it to Andy Dalton week one. Then you hold true to that promise. You can say to players who hit the market, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna make promises to you, and we're gonna keep them." Uh, yeah. I don't really think anyone in the NFL, as long as Andy Dalton has been, really believes that. Um, <laughs> it's a business, and it's about winning at the end of the day. And I think Andy knows where he's at in his career. Andy's not going to get the start back if Fields performs. I think Andy Dalton will be just fine making $10 million to hold the clipboard. I think that'll be fine for him. Actually, then, Soup, my question is, do you think Pace and or Nagy gets fired? Absolutely um, not. Okay. I think the minute they traded up to get Justin Fields, they bought themselves this year at least. Okay. I think I think next year is going to be the big evaluation year for them. Um, personally, this I guess might be a hot take. I like Ryan Pace. I don't understand the hatred for him that a lot of Bears fans, especially, have. I think if you look up and down the roster and you think about where it was before he came in, it's a completely different team than it was when we went four and twelve the year before he came in. Um, and I mean, like, everyone's always like, oh, bleh, he sucks, blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, let's let's look at this team right now. You got Roquan Smith, Akeem Hicks, Bilal Nichols, Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson. And then on offense, you have uh, James Daniels, Cody Whitehair. <sighs> Jermaine Fetty's playing well at right tackle, which is super weird. You drafted um, Cole Komet, a tight end. Cole Komet. Yeah, solid player. Uh, David Montgomery looks unreal. Trade up to grab Justin Fields, Allen Robinson, great free agent signing. Darnell Mooney, like, okay, like, I don't know. People's like, oh, but you missed on Trubisky. Okay, everybody missed on Trubisky. Everyone had yeah. that wrong. Literally every single person was wrong. If, like, if I have to say though, Pace's thing on his resume that is going to, I think, content for the rest of his career is going to be that trade up for Mitch Trubisky, but I think as you said, though, yeah, yeah. He had, like, trade I, up. Think, I think every NFL GM has like one or two things that they really effed up on. In the case when I think about the Vikings, I have many things about Mick, Rick Spielman because you know, following this team for quite a few years now, I just think he never got the offensive line right. Like we I mean, 
the Packers he said it was about the offensive line, right? Yeah. yeah. The Packers just cut a tight end. They drafted a pick before Terry McLaurin. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Like I, I, I would much rather have a guy like Pace who says, This is my guy, I'm going to get him than, you know, like someone who sits back and like, you know, just kind of lets everything happen and come to them. Yeah. I would much rather have a guy with the conviction that he has to go after the guys that he likes. Yeah. When it blows up, it blows up hard in your face, but when it works out, sometimes you trade up for Justin Fields at 11 and it worked. And that is great. Especially at pick 11. Damn. <laughs> and I was in Chicago when that happened. Ooh, it must've been a lit time. I was in the airport. I was uh, so they're doing construction at O'Hare, and they uh, always are. Yep, and it was it was awful. It's like completely gridlocked at baggage claim, and this is the first time I've seen my parents post COVID. Like this is the first time vaccinated. You know, wore mask on the plane. First time flying. You know, I'm finally back in Chicago. I'm watching the draft on my phone as I'm walking through the airport going to get my bag and. Now I'm down in baggage claim, and I looked down at my phone. It's like pick nine. You know, the Eagles are on the clock, whatever. Um, you know, they, and because like the Eagles traded up to nine or ten, they traded they, up to ten with Dallas, and they drafted the receiver. Uh, yeah, and I was like, okay, I was like, okay, they're not taking a quarterback here. Like once he slipped past uh, Denver at nine, and I was went, like, yeah, they went Patrick yeah, Sertan. They went Sertan. I was like, oh. This is interesting because I thought I thought Denver was going to be the trade spot because you have that relationship with Vic Fangio. But then he goes to 10 and Dallas trades back. Eagles trade up and I'm like, okay, well, they're not picking a quarterback here. They don't they like Jalen Hurts. So do I. And they really need another receiver. So they're going Devonta here. So they do. And then I'm walking through the airport and it's completely gridlocked trying to get out of baggage claim. And so I'm literally like walking through traffic with my bag, <laughs> staring down at my phone, walking between these cars, following my dad, who's looking for my mom in this bumper to bumper traffic, trying to get out of O'Hare in the middle of the street. And all of a sudden I look down at my phone and it says the bears are on the clock. And I was like, uh, uh, what? just happened and i'm getting my phone is blowing up i'm getting all these texts like what is happening oh my god is it happening is it happening and then i had like this moment of panic and i was just like matt Nagy, i swear to god if you pick mac jones i am going to freak out i will drive to lake forest to hallis hall i will find you during the draft and i will end you and then the Justin Fields pick comes across the screen and you, the entire, like out, everybody who was outside just started going nuts. People were honking their horn. It was crazy. It was so nutty. Like some random dude high fived me and hugged me. He was like, you watching the draft? And I was like, yeah, it was so wild. I bet. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting Sunday. 
It is going to be interesting. I'm excited for this upcoming Sunday, but unfortunately, uh, gentlemen, we are out of time. <laughs> We're way over our usual time limit. But uh, for our fans, yeah, I tend to do that. Yeah, our fans listening in or watching um, our podcast today, thank you so much. Uh, again, we'll be uh, excited to see you. At, uh, if you're coming to Homecoming, we may see you at Homecoming this weekend. If not, we'll see you at other Gopher games. But if not, stay tuned for more episodes from Open Podcast. But again, I'm one of your hosts, Jason O, along with. Griffin Mouse. Wyatt Oakers. I don't think I came through Wyatt. Uh, and then uh, our special guest today, Sue. Thanks for having me on, guys. This was kind of fun. Yeah, no problem. Well, oh, again, <laughs> well, again, everyone, thank you for your time, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night. Bye. Oh.